Cephalopod, it's start date May the something. I'm Chris Hewitt and this is the first Empire Podcast Star Trek Into Darkness spoiler special. The first, I hear you say. Well, yes, this one and forewarned is forearmed will consist of Team Empire. That's me, Ali Plum. Hello. And our resident Trekkeries, which is a combination of Trekker and Trekkie, so no one will get offended. Helen O'Hara. Hello. And James Dyer. Kaplach. <laughs> what the hell was that? That would be Klingon. 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 Okay, excellent. Uh, oh. We're going to be blathering on about J.J. Abrams' sequel, Star Trek Into Darkness. It's just going to be us. But a second spoiler podcast will feature hugely spoilerific interviews with the film's producers and writers Damon Lindelof, Bob Orsi, Alex Kurtzman, and producer Brian Burke. That's going to be up on the 24th of May. Why the delay, Chris? Well, that's going to give everyone, especially in the States where it opens a week later, uh-huh. a chance to watch the film and absorb its many shocks, twists and turns. Although Ooh. if you want to absorb one of its many shocks, twists and turns, go to the IMDb now where one of those many shocks, <laughs> twists and turns is there for all to see. Um, uh, say, is, I should say no credited? more. Uh, someone, yeah, oh, well, yeah, it's a spoiler podcast. So anyway, go away if you haven't uh, seen Star Trek in the Darkness because we're going to be venturing into the spoiler territory. Yes, he's credited after all those months of subterfuge That's John and cloaking devices. Benedict Cumberbatch is listed on the IMDb page for this movie. <laughs> as Khan as George Ringo which, which is really the Qui-Gon's noble end of this franchise yeah. um, if you don't know what that's a reference to it's the uh, just John Williams soundtrack I've just, I've just to, spoiled uh, the, the, the Phantom Menace, Menace. Yeah. yeah there was so much uh, subterfuge around that movie as well and then it was uh, two months before it came out yeah. the soundtrack came out with Qui-Gon's yeah, noble track end. 13 or something is Qui-Gon's death, noble death end Qui-Gon's, Qui-Gon's noble end no it is, it is oh, it's Qui-Gon's, yeah. it's Qui-Gon's, Qui-Gon's noble end Qui-Gon's funeral is the next track as well and then just in case you hadn't Qui-Gon's yes 17 seriously guys Qui-Gon's dead um, he's Qui-Gon he's Qui-Gon he was Qui-Gon <laughs> he's a Qui-Goner uh, okay so we're going to start I guess with the big revelation I've got a list here Helen I know you've got your big geeky sure. list of Star Trek stuff you two guys are the, the Star Trekkers Ali, I have where would, no list where would you put I yourself no list. on the Star Trek a scale I used to make sure I got home on time so I could watch John Luke but that's basically it get I, out I, there's nothing else that I really care about yeah same here. I was I was kind of a next gen, and I like the movies, the movies. But uh, original series, a little bit of uh, exposure to that, a little bit of exposure to Deep Space Nine, uh, nothing to Voyager and Enterprise, and I I'm, I believe I'm I've missed the dodged bullet here. It was a load of rubbish. You may have dodged the bullet. There, there yeah. were moments, but let's face it, it wasn't it wasn't when the Zindi got involved, well, it became more interesting. Oh god! But, uh, <laughs> oh god! Oh god! Okay, Chris, come okay, on. It's I a may, Star Trek. I may check out of the Star, Star Trek, Trek podcast. Special. <laughs> you have to kind of keep in the in <laughs> okay, the head. That's true. That's true. If you're with us, congratulations. Still, uh, so Khan, yes. So the big bad guy of this movie is not John Harrison or Ringo Lennon or whatever they were going to call him. It is, in fact. Can and it's revealed roughly halfway through the movie. It's the worst kept secret of the summer. But what did we feel when it was finally revealed to be Khan? Well, I thought. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch makes for a very sinister villain, and and a surprisingly kind of muscular villain. I mean, I don't I don't think any of us had many doubts that he'd be able to handle the, you know, in- incredible intellect side of things. But uh, the beating numerous people up including an entire squadron of Klingons yeah. that was more impressive so uh, that so, yeah. stretched it just a little bit oh come now come just now he's a, he's a superman he is yeah um, yeah I, I guess but he beats people up in Sherlock all the time well a little bit less it's not quite on the same scale it's not quite genetically engineered <laughs> I mean he occasionally punches one guy in or Sherlock whatnot. You know. well, what do we think about the choice of Khan as a villain for this movie um, as you as you will guess we'll see in the spoiler podcast with the, the writers and producers yeah. in a couple of weeks time they felt it was almost inevitable that they would go down this route do you feel that because Khan 
I think for many people is maybe the Star Trek bad guy. James, you might you'll probably disagree with me. The, you know the Borg Klingons, blah blah blah. But um, I think most people will think Wrath of Khan is the best Star Trek film. Yes. And so maybe doing this was a bit obvious. I I, I don't think I I thought it was something of the opposite. I I would have veered away from this personally uh, uh, as a choice. Um, Khan from the original series is, is I, I wouldn't say he's throwaway but it's one episode. Yeah. He's only made famous by the Rafa Khan which yeah. as you say is the best film which is why everyone remembers it. But that aside he's, you don't think Star Trek you don't think Khan. I mean I probably would have uh, played up the Klingon angle myself were I doing it. I know JJ likes the Klingons. Uh, I'm surprised. I know I, that which should be why they're in there. Uh but I would have maybe spent more time on that before sending the Enterprise off on a five-year mission to the far corners of the galaxy. In the first movie, Eric Banner's bad guy felt more to me carny in terms of vengeance and a mm. Kirk and, you know, a kind of a vendetta thing. And obviously had the bug, which was obviously a Khan hat tip in its own way. But with this, I didn't feel like there was a real I hate Kirk thing. No. I wanted from Khan yeah. a real, you know, heads-butting type deal but because of the way they concentrated it more on Spock versus Kirk friendship thing I didn't get that. Well I think the reason that they really couldn't do that is because essentially this isn't replacing the wrath of Khan or it shouldn't be in, in mm. you know in, in the timeline if you like this should be replacing Space Seed which is the episode where he originally appeared so they don't have that history mm. and I think that's part of what made Wrath of Khan so good even if you'd never seen that episode and I hadn't when I first saw Wrath of Khan still you still haven't. you still get but you still get that don't you you still get mm. the idea this guy has a grudge against Kirk uh, that's why everything that follows happens and I think because you didn't have that past connection here you did lose something of the menace that you had in Wrath of Khan and yeah you're, you're quite right I mean you're actually weirdly you had that in the first film and not this one so I was saying it's an, it's an oddly weird setup I mean the whole the Wrath of Khan is in the title the whole thing is, is predicated on revenge I mean it's, it's a loose retelling of Moby Dick the whole mm. thing is Khan's obsession with getting revenge on Kirk is his undoing that's that's the whole point of it and and what gives it relevance is that you've, you've earned that you've earned that because in space he's left marooned on set the Alpha 5 uh, and he stays there and he's been there for years and it all goes horribly wrong and then he comes back and he's a mite peeved uh, whereas in this you sort of see Khan in his sort of raw uncooked state you know this is his first encounter with them and it's great and it is a different story and I like the way it plays out you know I very much enjoyed it for what it was but mm, yeah. it seemed an odd thing to do mm. it really did seem an odd thing to reference especially if if from a Star Trek point of view you are conceding that Star Trek 2 is the best do you really want to be drawing parallels to a great film like arguably the best Star Trek film That's I think it's a short confidence into the wind it's a, a, a sign of confidence from JJ yeah. and his team I, I was intrigued by uh, a lot of the aspects of that I, I think the, the, the direct parallels with, with Wrath of Khan we'll get on to those in a, in a few minutes I guess I wasn't too enamoured with that uh, but the, the Khan-Kirk relationship I quite enjoyed I quite enjoyed the little wrinkles at the fact they had to team up the fact that uh, they didn't put Khan against Kirk at any point because frankly he would have killed him within five seconds flat mm. uh, and it's interesting you're talking about the, the, the Khan-Kirk vendetta that drives Wrath of Khan and if you were to do say for example because they have Cumberbatch on ice uh, not literally but in the movie they do and uh, just to you know, defrost in case of emergency uh, so if they do Star yeah. Trek 3 or sorry 13 <laughs> whichever yeah I know I just got, I got hammered on Twitter the other, way, the other day when I called it Star Trek 2 knowing that most people will call it Star Trek 2 and I know the Star Trek 2 is rather Khan I know this is Star Trek 12 it's okay Chris yeah, just let I was pain. attacked by those evil Star Trek villains the pedants uh, <laughs> they were very very annoying so yes if they do Star Trek 13 or 14, 15 and bring Cumberbatch back in say 10 years time and do that storyline 
they can't really do it with Kirk because Kirk doesn't really do anything to Khan in this movie. It's Spock mm. who does the uh, who who upsets Khan. It's it's Spock who fires in his ship ultimately, and it's Spock who he fights against at the end of the movie. Well, whereas Kirk is kind of cooling off somewhere. <laughs> I'm gonna say? I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my my Star Trek nerd ears. Please please by all means. Stage. I'm surprised you've taken them off. Frankly. This this is the one part, and we talked about the physicality of Khan a little bit early on. This is the one part I thought, if anything, that JJ ever so slightly fumbled, which is the the climatic fight where where Spock faces off against Khan. Mm. The point of that, the relevance of that, is exactly as you said that Kirk could never stand up to Khan he's genetically modified he would kick his ass the point is Spock being Vulcan is many many times stronger than a human mm-hmm. so the point the, the point is only he could go hand to hand with Khan in this um, but you don't really get that and in fact if you don't know Star Trek you wouldn't even know the Spock as yeah. a Vulcan is stronger than a human. It needed um, it needed maybe just that one little bit you of You needed like a line, and there needs to be a moment where you see, you know, Khan should turn around and think, okay, now this is going to be a fight. Uh, and I think you've got a fight out of them. That was fun, and the bit where he's resisting the nerve pinch, and all that's quite fun. Uh, but, but I think for non-Star Trek fans, that's that, you know, it probably felt a bit odd. Yeah. When Khan gets stunned, stunned. on the big dreadnought yes. ship... A little inconsistency there. He goes down. He yes. does. When he's on the floating red ship, which means nothing to me, I don't takes, understand why it's He takes to five city. to the chest. He takes six, and it looks yeah. great, because he's like, oh, oh, oh. The, well, I guess that the implication is not that he he woke up quickly from the stun gun first time, but that he was faking all along the first time. For what reasons, I'm not quite sure. But I, I guess that must be what you take away from that, that's, that's the only way it makes sense. one of my sort of favourite parts of the film, that particular bit, is when he gets up, and just the off-handed way that he just snaps Alice Eve's leg, just stamps yeah. on it. Yeah. Uh, and he, I mean, obviously it happens out of frame, but it's really brutal. And yeah. then obviously goes up to Mr. Weller and crushes his skull, which again, you don't see, but it's very, very nasty. Mm. Uh, I think that's the into darkness moment for me. The fact that Alice Eve gets over having a leg snap very, very quickly is not the end of that. Well, it is a 23rd but, century. I mean, it yeah. is, but sure. she, she screams, and then after that she just sobs a little bit gently and she has a bit of a bruise that's why they call him bones presumably because he can set bones he cures death later on but (laughs) But that's the point and and that's an interesting part because the Khan morality element sort of vacillates backwards and forth so you have Khan the villain he's the terrorist and then you have Khan the fluffy Khan but he's only fluffy because they make Peter Weller very very evil to kind Mm. of to make you more sympathetic towards Khan and then when it swings back again to sort of underline the evilness of Khan he snaps a woman's leg offhandedly and those are maybe not the subtlest beats but they do do the job well, my, my feeling with the movie was that Khan wasn't really the, the bad guy as we'll, as we'll discuss yeah. Admiral Marcus mm. was the bad guy in this movie which is another nice interesting little twist that I didn't really see coming um, in fact I didn't see coming at all that um, was, the, that, was the, the twist that was the that twist that nobody I think saw yeah. coming I think people may may guess very early on there's a fair amount of foreshadowing about the uh, the warp engine it may it, it may leak it may leak and yeah, if that happens someone's going to have to go in there and sacrifice themselves of course in Wrath of Khan another, going back to Spock's physiology uh, he goes in and, and absorbs radiation leak because he can as a Vulcan he can absorb many many more well it does kill radiation. him it so kills him really, but, <laughs> but it, it, my, my point is that yeah. Kirk survives it for quite a long time yes. it's more it logical certainly yeah. it is more yeah. logical as you as you rightly say uh, I, my, my feeling about the can thing is that uh, uh, it, it was kind of fuzzy what he wanted uh, as a bad guy uh, there was a there was a, vague, there, was a there was a vague line at one point about oh he 
doesn't like anyone who's inferior to him and he thinks everyone's inferior to him so if he gets away from us he'll he'll go on a killing spree and that that's pretty bad um but otherwise i thought he was quite a charismatic bad guy I almost suffered from hans gruber syndrome in a way and that he was he stole as charismatic yeah. if not more charismatic than the heroes far more so the kirk well, this is interesting because kirk in the first film i think carries the film on his charisma that moment in uh, the kobayashi maru he bites into the apple i think is one of the best <laughs> kirk moments in the first film it's fantastic and there's nothing quite so cocksure or appealing in this one and i think part of that it's not chris pine's fault it's that Cumberbatch so overshadows him that by the second half of the film you can't help but be just so enamoured with Khan that you're less worried about what happens to Kirk on Fuck Kirk. It's more, Khan, we can't have bad things happen to Khan. Khan must not die. Uh, yeah, so, so I, and that's the thing. I, I, yeah, I loved Khan. Yeah, but, you, I mean, you always A manly, a manly, it's sort of very heterosexual manly You always manly have love. sympathy for the evildoer. It's in yeah, that may, that may speak. Yeah, uh, that may speak to me. I found Kirk quite charming. I found him quite funny. I liked the sex scene with the two cat girls. I liked the little funny banter between him and Bones yeah. and Spock and I thought it was funny this film yeah. made me chuckle and I, he was a big part of it. in that. a different I, way though the, the humour's slightly more mature in the first one like there's no swollen hands or slapstick humour no. I didn't think the humour was quite as prevalent in this one uh, but no you're right yeah. there's some, there's I, some I, I thought it was pretty funny it wasn't Iron Man 3 in a way it didn't have me chuckling every five minutes mm. but I, I don't get your thing on about Chris Pine I think he's very charismatic I think he's great as Kirk I, I liked him a lot in this movie well, fine. I have a certain amount of sympathy. I think he's a little bit underserved. Um, yeah. and, and the fact that he's removed for the last act, essentially. And I get why we've discussed that. But at the same time, it, it's a bit of an odd choice to, to sideline yeah. your, your hero, essentially. Yeah. I also felt like the, the Bones relationship was a little underserved because that was... I mean, yes, Kirk and Spock are the... Are the, the the, the firmest links of that triumvirate mm. if you will but it is a triumvirate with well, Bones absolutely. And, and you didn't get to see much of the three of them together having said that there were great moments for Scotty you know there were great moments for Yahura so they were they were clearly trying to give everybody something to do well if you watch Wrath of Khan uh, again and I did the other day because yeah. uh, my wife hadn't seen it and she's a big big fan of the Abrams Star Trek movies um, it's very very interesting obviously I, for me uh, growing up in the films and a little bit of the original series as I said but uh, for me, of this iteration of Star Trek, it is Spock, Kirk, and McCoy. That's the holy trinity for me. And um, it was interesting, even on our cover recently, our big gatefold cover that Carl Urban, who I think is fantastic as yeah. Bones, was uh, on the second portion of the cover, mm. and it was Uhura on the on the front cover. So I think this series, this iteration of Star Trek, is uh, very much underserving Bones slightly. Uh, if you look at the Wrath of Khan, it does say starring. William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, yeah. and then it's also starring everyone else. So e yeah. even that movie mm. thinks it's very much a, a triumvirate. Uh, but going back to Wrath of Khan is, is very, very interesting because I think this whole idea about everyone on the, on the crew needs to be served is a very, very new phenomenon. If you look back at Wrath of Khan, Uhura does nothing. She literally sits in her chair all, for the entire film and goes, I'm patching someone through now, Captain. That's all she gets to do. Um, I, I quite like the fact that they go out of their way now to make the crew feel more involved and they give Sulu a moment and they give... Um, Chekhov. Well, Chekhov's in the film. Che Chekhov is, <laughs> is there. God bless yeah, him. Uh, in in fairness, they said themselves yeah. that's the person that they yes. underserved. And uh, he does. He does get to save. To he, he does save Kirk. Yeah. He, uh, which is ultimately a futile gesture. And he pushes the button. <laughs> he pushes the button. Which he pushes the thing. Button. Yes, and he, he pronounces his W's in an interesting way. He does. Wichter, Wichter. Which apparently more Polish thing than a Russian. There yeah. you go. Can we jump back to Khan's introduction? <laughs> True. Because okay. 
His introduction or his introduction? His, or his, his introduction. His introduction is Khan. You I, mean that, that introduction or the introduction in uh, in London where the, uh, the camera goes, goes up in his face and Michael Giacchino goes... Da, da, da. No, I'm talking about the, the chair-spinning, cat-petting type introduction oh, he yes. does inside the plastic glass cage of emotion. Oh, okay. If I were to say one thing about this film that annoyed me, it is the way Benedict Cumberbatch chewed the scenery there quite vigorously I felt that he was a petty per hammy when he was doing his Khan speech mon dieu Hamberbatch I don't want to ruffle any Cumberbatch feathers here I can't believe I just said that but <laughs> do they have feathers I re- I'm just I'm going to stop now abort <laughs> it's only a matter of time <laughs> you know what I'm I'm very much I loved that scene I thought yeah. he played it very well um, I only wish there'd been more of it I think the one thing that was missing for me and I've said this in the office before is that I think that uh we wanted a meaty dialogue mind off scene between Khan and Kirk yeah. and that would have been through the the glass shield that would have been the time for them to really back and forth you know give it five minutes have a long chat and I felt a little underserved in that regard I thought we could have had a meeting of minds a melding of minds I, wanted, I wanted more quotation of you know Shakespeare and Moby Dick and, and Moby Dick yes from Hell's Heart and I stab it flame yes. that kind of stuff Cumberbatch is amazing. He's no Ricardo Montalban. Well, <laughs> that is true. And uh, you may take that how you will. I was expecting a few more pecs. Didn't see any yeah. up at all so from Ben. Yes. was, yeah. Oh. Not enough. Yeah, right. he, what a shame. He's, he's been talking, Cumberbatch, as well, about his uh, his incredible diet and workout regime for the movie, which left him very, very ripped. And he was eating nothing but chicken for, for months to yeah. get ready for the role. And you don't get to see his man nipples, which was... <laughs> no, I think, no, you I'm, don't. I'm, I think I can speak for everyone here at the table. We, we're very, very disappointing, indeed. Right. Okay. Yuhura! Sorry, I just had to say that to get back on. There Uhura. you go, there you go. Yuhura! Uhura. Yuhu is uh, Uhura. Sure, he's Uhura. Northern Irish. It's true, you are Northern Irish. Yuhura! Yuhura! There was that incredibly gratuitous <laughs> shot after she got out of the shuttlecraft uh, on Kronos, and uh, and it's basically just, you know, and just in the foreground, her bottom, and then in the background, some Klingons. Looked brilliant in IMAX. I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's actually a fantastic shot, and I don't specifically mean the Uhura bottom. Uhura. Uh, okay. uh, specifically, it's that, <laughs> that shot of the shuttle coming down and the camera moving in and coming. Yeah. In on the doorway, it's a lovely, it's a lovely. Well, speaking shot, of gratuitous, I think Alice Eve going, Oh, don't look around, don't look around. Boops. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's just, yes, it was. It was. You know, when you see it, you go, That was for the trailer, you know, it was for the it trailer. Was for the trailer. It, was for the trailer. it was absolutely for the trailer. That was, there was, there was no like real scene. need for her to sort of uh, strip off in that. Also, Kirk is a bit pervy, in that scene. he's a little bit pervy, isn't he? Yeah, he's, a bit, mean, per- he's a bit pervy, a bit generally. Perv, generally, yeah, yeah. 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 that's part of part of Kirk. Surely, I mean, isn't that against the very tenets of Starfleet? What, stripping off Could, a shuttlecraft? No, um, like peeking on a co-worker stripping. I mean, James, you've frowned upon it every time I've tried to do it. Yes. And, uh, it, it Starfleet HR is probably filling out reams yeah. of paperwork. It strikes me that like Kirk might get his wrist slapped. He, he might. I wouldn't worry about that too much. Uh, can we talk about the blood? The magic blood? Yes. The magic Here blood. Here is my thing. Uh, as soon as Kirk went into the room which I have a whole heap of problems with anyway. But as soon as he went into the room, I leaned over to my brother who was with me at the screening and I said, Can's blood. Because I never had any doubt. And we hadn't even seen the triple move at that point, but I never had any doubt that it was going to bring him back to life because it just seemed obvious. And here's my second problem with Can's blood. If you have a guy whose blood cures death, why do you freeze him and not try to, I don't know keep him around so you can keep taking his blood, synthesise it and cure death. 
There's also the fact that they didn't need Khan's blood at all because they had 72 yeah. other people with magic blood sitting in their cargo bags. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I can get maybe but, they yeah. thought they didn't know that for sure that they had magic blood. Maybe they thought they didn't have time to find out. But... I'm just going to put in a caveat here for our readers. This is one of those things where we loved this film. We all loved this film. And it's going to sound like we're criticising it, yes. which is, of course, not what we're doing. But it's, it's a great Star Trek tradition. I think you have to pick the holes and stuff and you have to criticise the elements of it that does not in any way uh, take away from our enjoyment of it as a whole there but you go caveat ends but you're right that that's a Star Trek thing like mm. I even with individual episodes I'd go oh that was great but let's talk about how they teleported to there when they could easily have teleported to there or, or in Next Generation where they used the deflector dish in an entirely new way to fix everything yeah, it's better than in Voyager when they used bioneural gel packs for things uh, Ali I'm scared now what's happening I've got my toe in the water I'm worried I might be pulled in <laughs> yes. uh, sharks are circling but you know those terrible things they do online I absolutely hate these videos you can't help but watch them sometimes oh though. yeah everything that's wrong with the nonsense. movie Sin Tally yeah. which looks like it was created oh. by the snarkiest angriest I've never enjoyed anything in my life you yeah. bought me a cake I'd dreadful. punch you for it dreadful and yet I watch them all and you, you watch, <laughs> yeah, them. I watch them all and if you watch the oh. original Star Trek movie Sin Tally they are making the most pathetic things you know when they drive he drives up on his uh, motorbike uh, to the where the ships uh, you know, Enterprise is being yep. assembled and they go there is no way NASA would let you get that close to where they're assembling their newest ship and you just want to go it's a movie so with that um, in mind also we are technically taking... the starships are assembled at the Utopia Planitia shipyards which are in orbit yeah, they not should have been planet. in orbit that was the, just that was the problem you can't there. assemble a starship in gravity it has to be done in space that makes no sense to quote Star Trek Ali we've taken our first steps into a larger world and while we're there <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to roll out this uh, another issue I have which is a basic <laughs> misunderstanding awful. of the concept of trans warp this is what I'm going to get in there. This is uh, true. We're, whole... we're going to say the, the things we liked about this movie in a second. We are, yes. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if you, we're going to absolutely go proper nerd fight on this. Okay. Um, what Scotty discovers in the first Star Trek is not actually transwarp. It's being able to transport at warp, which is not the same thing. Uh, and that is what we are led to believe is what Khan has essentially stolen, because he says Scotty's research has been stolen. But what he does is he transports halfway across the Alpha Quadrant to Kronos, the Klingon's home, Klingon homeworld, yeah. which is a technology owned by no one except, to the best of my knowledge, the Borg, uh, which is transwarp travel, um, which is something that the Federation never, ever develops in, okay. at any point during explain any for of me, the series. Explain for me what transwarp travel is. It's, it's essentially... Oh, it's see. instantaneous travel across the universe. Yeah, basically. So it's faster than warp Hardcore. It's than not even that. It's hardcore transporting. So, boom. That's it. That's my that's my explanation. Vroom. But if you have that, then that really scuppers the next movie because this is technology that exists, and certainly the whole trekking is a. Bit... I don't think it does. I think they got a little bit confused. Okay. It's, it's um, like in Superman, where he turned the world backwards. Ah, did, you, you can really do that. So he definitely do that. He definitely teleports to Kronos, to Kronos. from his shuttlecraft. He doesn't yes. teleport to a ship. No, no, he, no. no. But the thing is, that would have been the easiest thing. He transports to a ship in orbit and then flies to Kronos. That would have been absolutely spot on, probably what he should have done. But And also, this is the thing, Kronos is not next to Earth. It's so phenomenally far away, it's not even funny. And is it still far away in this Star Trek universe? I mean, the, the geography of the universe isn't different. They've, they've taken pains to sort of say this, that the timeline is different, but the fundaments of the universe remain the same. Um, Kronos, obviously, is the Klingon homeworld, which yes. is at the heart of the... Klingon Empire uh -huh. so one might argue that it would be very difficult to fly the Federation flagship and park in orbit uh, but you know uh, we, we are just saying. edging into some very dark territory it's pedantry pedantry is I can't help but comment if that's the case then why is the neutral zone so close to the home world of the Klingon Empire that yes. they have to park outside of it, it, Makes it, it point. And, and space uh, is a big place I mean it's, it's the final the frontier it, well yes but it's, it's huge I mean it is huge you could get a the Enterprise isn't that big you could probably park for a little bit a little bit 
be detained. Yeah, and before be before the Klingon traffic wardens come by and say, "Yeah, yes, all right, mate, move it on, you're in a move it on." Zone. Yeah, you hear that? Walk to your local news agents. Yeah, that's peanuts to space. <laughs> He's not wrong. That it is true. Um, incidentally, while we're on yes. pedantry in the Klingon homeworld, oh, uh, you will have seen there's a moon next to the Klingon homeworld, which is wait, in wait, a state wait. of. I know this. That's no moon. I know this. Come on, Chris. Mooney. No, wait, it's it Praxis. Oh, there well, we go. No, Praxis? It, it may Praxis. or may not Praxis. be Praxis. The point is, in oh. Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country, Praxis, which is a moon orbiting Kronos, explodes and causes problems for the Klingons. Uh, so there was a moon here that looked semi-exploded, sort of, you know, it was yeah, it looked like hanging it was off. I don't know quite of, yeah, what was going on there. The planet. It, the I wasn't sure if this was a... A reference to Praxis or... or it's an interesting know. thing. I actually asked uh, Orsi and Kurtzman about this and I think they misunderstood my question because they forgot about that shot, okay. which clearly shows a moon kind of colliding with the planet and just, uh, uh, you know, addressed the environmental concerns. They said there'd been something gone wrong, but they didn't... So maybe they've they accelerated the Praxis thing. Maybe. Maybe, which seems a, an odd thing to change as a result of everything that was changed last time. I don't it? think, again, I don't think, I think it was a, it was a nice, pretty bit of art direction. Yeah, I don't think there was much was. more to it than that, because I the point is that it endangers the life of the whole empire in, in Star Trek mm. 6. I wonder if they were pissed off about, upon seeing Oblivion, in which the, yes. the, the same <laughs> image pretty much appears. It uh, may in fact be that. Yeah, that might have been, that might have been uh, that. Um, you know, the, talking about some of the uh, the crew in the movie, I mean, we, we haven't really touched upon the Sacri Quinto's Spock yet, but one, one standout for me and I think J.J. Abrams loves this guy is Simon Pegg mm. um, yeah. who you think doesn't get a lot to do initially he, he disappears quite early on he quits in a, in a fit of pique uh, over the torpedoes on, uh, not, on, not so on board much the a fit of pique as like uh, a, a, a justifiable concern yeah. 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 and he's proved right in the end yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then gets his own little strand and uh, I think for me he gets the, the film's funniest joke as well the run Scotty run uh, element <laughs> where he runs down that massive corridor which I believe Helen you prized out from, from Simon that they, they made him do for real uh, they did, and and he, and he basically threw up. Yeah. Um, as he'd been running so hard, he, he went he went for it. So well done, Mr. Pegg. Your training has paid off. Mm. Um, but yeah, he he'd unwisely perhaps eaten some antipasti right before. And that didn't. <laughs> that wasn't necessarily the, the best. Scotty time. definitely has the funniest show. I'm not sure it was that. I like the oh shh. Yeah, the, that's funny. That the, uh, and the, obviously this letter part of that word is taken up with the uh, classic Star Trek door opening sound. Yeah, which is uh, a, a nice little... Uh, like a ref- yeah, have you seen, it's lovely. Have you seen yeah. Airplane 2, the sequel? Yes. Where, where, where Shatner mm-hmm. turns up at the end and they, they open the doors by going shh, shh, and the doors <laughs> go back to them. It's, it's very, very funny. There's a, also uh, another nice reference in there to, uh, I believe it's Section 31, which is what uh, which is what Khan blows up, which is the library, which turns out is the headquarters of Section 31, which is William Sadler's outfit in, uh, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Really? So yeah, go. it's essentially there. There, it's the MI6 of the Federation, and it's run by William Sadler. I have to say, this is this is one of my slight concerns with the film, and, and it's good to hear that because pretty much people have been talking about this is a film with loads of geeky references. This is loads of stuff for for nerds, for fans, whatever, whatever. And the fact is, in a lot of ways, it kind of isn't. What this film references is Wrath of Khan and the 2009 Star Trek. There are calls back to the 2009 Star Trek, you know, the space jump, mm. even playing the Beastie Boys um, early on. Um, and there are obviously huge nods to Wrath of Khan, but there's very little to the rest of the Star Trek canon. So I actually don't think this is a film for nerds. I think this is a mm. film for casual viewers. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. I mean, obviously the Wrath of Khan stuff at the end. Sure. People will get, um, fans will get, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't think it was too this comes back to to Abrams though isn't it that he's not a Star Trek fan he's aware of the Star Trek universe he's not he's not inside you know what I mean he's on the outside looking in still but then I think I mean I think what they did 
quite well last time was that they put in those references anyway and it didn't matter if you didn't get them because mm. they still worked for the story you know things like the little worm things like the, the tribble in the cage in Scotty's place you know there, there were lots of those little touches that you didn't have to get but if you got them that was a bonus mm. and and that was really lacking this time actually it wasn't it's, it's, I don't know I just I don't think it's a it's a film that's particularly geared towards Star Trek fans and I think that those reviews that have said, oh, this is so nerdy, are, are showing how little yeah, they know. I, d- I don't get that. Uh, wh- where do we think this leaves uh, the Star Trek universe? Because JJ is obviously going off now to do another star movie. Uh, it looks like he may not be back. I can't see him coming back. It, it this. felt it, from the end of this movie like he wasn't... It was a sign-off, yeah. was, wasn't it? Yeah, it felt like yeah. he was wrapping things up. I mean, perhaps wrapping things up for the next guy. Yeah, but certainly I, I don't think they're going to stop. Him. Unless, of course, it doesn't do particularly well, but I can't see that. Happening. I was very frustrated by that ending because it was too similar to the first one but also we have we are on the precipice at the end of that film even if it is a year after the events of of whatever you want to call Mm. this the Klingons ain't pleased no with the Federation and this has been built up and a big you know turn in this movie has been about the Klingons we get to see them wow and then they're off into deep we haven't explored this country undiscovered country the the one thing I will say about that they do go off on a mission you think well they're leaving everything behind they're heading off into outer space there's an element of that I mean if you consult your star map uh, you'll see that obviously they're exploring the space is limited to their quadrant of space which is like the Alpha Mm -hmm. Quadrant and the Klingon Empire is a part of that so they're never actually going to be all that far from Klingon space yeah there's Uh, always a Klingon there's always a Klingon (laughs) there's always a Romulan Uh, so there's no no sense that they won't necessarily encounter the Klingons while on their five-year mission. So, yeah. but uh, it, it seems to me this movie uh, sets up two kind of seeds, space seeds, if you will, yeah. for, for the next installment. Thank you, uh, Klingons. Definitely. I mean, yep. correct me if I'm wrong, James and Helen, but we've never really seen a major, large-scale. Uh, Federation Klingon conflict have no we? because the point of the Federation has always been to try and avoid all out war so we've seen them yeah. multiple times avoid war but brinkmanship we is what they specialise in indeed. Yeah. Yeah. which is one of the interesting uh, th- uh, themes of this movie about the militarisation mm. of, of Starfleet yeah. um, uh, and what Admiral Marcus mm. is doing He's, he is preparing for war he thinks war is inevitable and it's interesting given if you follow uh, Roberto Orsi on Twitter uh, at Bob Orsi, I think is his Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's quite the conspiracy theorist, and he he can't, he's very much about mistrusting the government, which is very very much uh, one of the themes here. That you don't always believe what your government tells you, and mm. uh, dig a little deeper, uh, which is which is a very interesting um, statement for a big summer movie to be to be making. Mm. Ellen's absolutely right, though. The the Federation's never been about militarising space because mm. Gene Roddenberry had a very, very fixed ideals of what he wanted the future to be, this sort of dream ideal, egalitarian cooperation and exploration, pacifism. Um, what's interesting is that when Star Trek got really interesting in Deep Space Nine was specifically because they started to militarise at the, you know, they were under threat from the Dominion. Um, and because that was so against what Star Trek had always been, it was suddenly really interesting and yeah. exactly this sort of thing had been happening. Did that piss off the fans? Uh, no, no, people no, loved it. I mean, DS9 you had William great. Sadner doing all of this uh, Section 31 stuff. You had the Federation that built the Defiant, the ship in, in collaboration with the Romulan Star Empire. Uh, and it was the first Federation warship. So, But it was much, much smaller than the Dreadnought in this. Um, <laughs> is it called the Dreadnought in the movie? Or what's it, it is, called? Yeah. It's a Dreadnought called, class. Yeah, dreadnought yeah. class. It's a Dreadnought yeah. class. Okay, but it's, it's not called the... And in, and in case we were under any illusions that it might be a good ship, it's dark and <laughs> spiky <laughs> and evil-looking. <laughs> I uh, really it's like cool. that. And I, yes, the fight, yeah. the fight they have, the little sort of like when they come out of what the fight between yeah. the Enterprise and the Dreadnought is nice. Star Trek is famous for really tedious space fights because the ships sit 
next to each other. They don't it move, is. and they yeah. exchange beams of light yeah. which impact each other's shields while everyone inside falls about. Yeah. Um, so you sunk my battleship. Yeah. Indeed. F3. Whereas one of the things I like most about Wrath of Khan is yeah. when the Reliant and the Enterprise face off, they essentially do what it's old school sort of it's naval battle. It's naval yeah. battle, yeah. They do passes while strafing each other's hulls. It's really mm. nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's mostly a limitation of the special effects back yes, in the day because yes. what, what they do with um, for the series is up to the next generation at least possibly beyond was they had models yeah, which and they, they were moved, expensive and they, had to, and they had to do about five passes to get all the lights yeah. so you had to do a pass for the body of the yep, ship a pass right. for the lights on the ship a the pass deflector. for the stars pass for the deflector and, and get the camera movements exactly right each time and blah 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 anyway nerdy uh, yes, so I that's really, the reason I really really liked that mid-warp fight. Yeah. That was yes, brilliant. The that other was bits cool. where I was like really, really in my cool. seat going, I'm so glad I'm watching this at cinema. This is such a treat. And watching the Enterprise being absolutely owned by Robocop was, was, <laughs> was, was, and was his big the, robo ship. Was the beginning was... when you see the Star Trek Into Darkness title come up, but then it's just like the music comes up, which you haven't heard properly yet in full. Mm-hmm. That comes up, and then the warp trails just go... Yeah, Giacchino's yeah. score is fantastic. Oh, I oh, really, yes. really like that. I think he's goosebumps. I'm sure we've said this in the podcast before, but he, for me, is the heir to John Williams, yeah. isn't he? I mean, he's he, fantastic. He's the only guy out there. I mean, I, you know, really interestingly, Brian Tyler stepped to the fore. I think this 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 summer with his Iron Man three score, which is which is really really good, and has. As I'm sure we've banged on about on the podcast, can you dig it? Which is the song of of the year so for me. Good. But Giacchino is the only one for me of the, the kind of new breed of composers who seems to deal almost entirely in melody and and theme and motifs and actually wants to take on that, that Williams gauntlet. You know, we you, you get very people like Hans Zimmer at the moment who seem to be dealing in very atonal sounds and they, they seem to be shying away from melody. Back, yeah, yeah. I, 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 and, and it's interesting. The, the, the Star Trek theme is the, the, the new one, the Giacchino one, is incredibly hummable and very memorable. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which is so, which is such a an interesting thing, given that you, he's going up against two of the the great theme tunes of all time if you include the Jerry Goldsmith Next Generation uh, mm. uh, theme and I'm sure James you got a soft spot for Deep Space Nine's War Balloons yes I don't was like the Enterprise it? theme yes that was it okay what was the Enterprise well, that theme was the, that was the slightly uh, was it, I think it's seasons three seasons four and onwards when uh, the Deep Space Nine theme tune goes a little bit up tempo and really? there's a drum beat underneath it yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. When you Just say saying. cool. Uh, well, anyway, but as you're saying, as you're saying. Uh, but Giacchino, interestingly, uh, JJ said probably won't be doing the Star Wars uh, thing for well, him. Well, yeah, because, because always said John Williams. Because it's John Williams' back, isn't it? Yeah. You can't take it away. Well, you might, you might as well. That would be wrong. He's, he's got track record, the guy, but uh, it's going to be interesting. Anyway, what were we talking about? We are talking about what you could do with Star Trek Three. Um, 13 uh, is, obviously, you're setting up Klingons. Mm. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see a massive... I know you're saying that the Federation wouldn't necessarily do it, but if you're attacked by the Klingons, surely they'd fight back. Well, oh, no, no, they absolutely... Yeah, yeah, they would do. And, and there's lots of... Uh, the most famous Star Trek episodes, you know, Best of Both Worlds, it's the Federation getting its ass kicked by a military yeah. foe. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's always most interesting. The space battles have always been a high point. The other me. thing is, of course, what's changed in this timeline is you don't have Vulcan. And Vulcan, while, you know, pacifistic in itself, is also a hub of technology and a hub of, mm. of space power. The Minbari. Um, of the Star Trek universe, if, if you, you like. will, indeed. Um, so the fact that that's now been taken out and that the Vulcan population is much smaller does mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> does mean that uh, that you have, you know, you have a big gap in the Federation's defences. Not to mention the fact that the Federation also got their asses kicked in 2009 uh, in, in that and lost Star a Trek lot of ships. and lost a lot of ships, and apparently and have built no have new ones. Built no new ones, which is bizarre. <laughs> There's still a reference in this film to oh, uh, the Enterprise, the Enterprise is the newest, is the newest ship. ship in the fleet. So apparently, in the past year, all they've done is build this super secret ship well he's been diverting all his funds and they've got to rebuild the, the place in London you would think somebody would have asked them I, I would. I would hesitate to say that they, it might take a while to build 
I'm sure they do. Ships over the back of the moon. But, but what I'm th- what I'm saying is, you have a big gap in the Federation's yeah. defences that does leave them more vulnerable. That means they're probably going to be, as we saw with mm. Weller's character, more scared, uh, more paranoid, and that could lead to militarism. So there is there's a really interesting opportunity here to do. Something but there is with probably that. a small fleet being assembled at the Foxconn factory in China. So at some <laughs> point they'll they'll you know roll those. Out. Can we talk in more detail about the? Hand to hand, and by hand to hand, I mean glass to hand. The Wrath of Khan stuff. Yeah, because I personally found that the shout Khan didn't work for me, but I actually quite enjoyed the bit before that. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think the friendships have been as, as deeply etched yeah. as um. Oh, you know, when you look at Wrath of Khan, you're not just talking about you know guys. Who, you're they're what thirty years of friendship in the. Film. It hasn't been earned at this. It stage. hasn't been earned yeah. necessarily, and. Uh, I felt as well that giving Spock that line uh, smelled a little bit of fanboy service uh, or you yeah. know, fan person. Not service. a very Spock-like <laughs> thing to do. Either. Not a very Spock-like thing to do. If I recall correctly from the uh, the first Star Trek um, or Star Trek Eleven, um, from Star Trek Eleven is uh, when Vulcan dies, when his planet blows up, and his mother gets killed in front of his eyes, along with billions of his people. He kind of takes it on the he chin. He gets emotionally compromised. He gets emotionally compromised, but it's not like he goes around. I mean, he gets a little bit wibbly wobbly. He wells on, sp- yeah. on on Kirk yeah. at one point. But yeah. yes, you're right. But he's he's, a, he's a little bit. He doesn't wobbly. go Vulcan. No. It it just seemed like mm, okay, but then yeah. you could argue that there are maybe echoes of a timeline filtering through maybe, this universe maybe in a sort of sliding door that's, that's what we talked to the writers about I, yeah. I feel like I would have been happy if they had done that scene in another way I have no problem thematically story wise whatever having Kirk sacrifice himself for the ship because they, they talked about this all being about responsibility and I think that comes across in the story that it's Kirk growing up and taking charge not just taking command but also kind of taking responsibility for his ship and and so having him sacrifice him, himself for his people totally works for me on every character and story yeah. level that you can imagine. What I had a problem with was the the direct rehash of of Khan, and I, I felt like that was just a, a, a too close a nod, too on the nose, and and didn't didn't quite work. Of it course, took me out of this film. And many 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 one. people who watch this movie who won't have seen Wrath of Khan. And so yeah, I guess will, it's or true. don't remember yeah, it well, but it's still, it's still not the best way you could have done it. I guess so. My, my main problem with it is, and again, we have to stress, and we will talk about the things we loved about this movie in, in two seconds. Um, thing that slightly bothered me about that, the whole, uh, the whole Kirk thing, was if you're going to kill him, kill mm. him, and keep him dead until the next movie. And bring him back, Spock-like. Somehow, you'll you'll figure it out. You're a smart guy. That might be a, beat, a, a reference beat too far, though. I don't know. I, it just seemed cheap to me. It seemed. It, like well, you they, never. They, you didn't believe it. They it, killed him, and you thought well, he's not dead. He's it, was, not dead. it was like his demotion at the beginning of the film, which lasts five minutes. You know, you didn't feel the sense that there was any kind of consequence to it. Like you didn't believe he'd be dead. You didn't for one second really worry about mm-hmm. him. Uh, and I think th- the problem with that scene there is a little bit born legacy syndrome, which is that if there's a arguably a better film out there do you want to keep drawing people's attention to it yeah. that was just my yeah. thought with there's it. no point in doing it if you can't do it really better yes and frankly what you should be doing is is doing something different I think mm. absolutely because that scene that scene in Rather Gone is, is one of the greatest cinematic scenes it really is mm. phenomenal it's incredibly well done but it, it's the weight of the the just the consequence of it, the the, the magnitude of it, to kill Spock, mm. and the the moment they share through the glass is just Beautiful. astonishing. It's yeah. poetic. It and brings the eulogy, a tear to the, eye. the funeral, yeah. absolutely every part of that is magical. And then this, which is and to be fair, this is not a bad scene. It's not badly done in any way, shape, or form. But 
sat side by side with that scene from Khan, it feels ham-fisted. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's the only... Another interesting thing about the uh, the death of, of Spock in Wrath of Khan is they've defeated the bad guy by that, that point. Yeah. It is it's the final sacrifice. Yeah. So the, the movie builds up to that and ends in that moment, mm-hmm. whereas this is kind of a little bit lost in the mix. So one minute, you know, Spock is mourning the, the death of Kirk, and the next minute he's fighting a guy in a rubbish barge that's floating yeah. through Earth. It just seems... I, I, I would have liked to see... It ended with the death of Kirk, and yeah, I, you guys may not agree, but I, I would have liked to see him stay dead. Until see, I, I'm glad they didn't end with the death of Kirk, simply because it enabled you to get past that and move on. Whereas, yeah, if that I, had been the final note, I'd have been quite down coming out of well, it. What, 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 for example, if you were watching Empire Strikes Back for the first time, they they made it now, okay, yeah. and you were watching Empire Strikes Back for the first time, and Luke gets his hand cut off, hand gets put into carbonite, and you go, "Oh my god, this is awful!" And then five minutes later, Luke gets a new hand put back on, which of course, uh, and uh, <laughs> and hand magically comes back out of the carbonite. Goes, "Hey guys, I'm all right now." Yes, much worse movie. Yes. So I I think I would love to see that cliffhanger for three years, just going or three four years, going. Well, how are they going to do this? How are they going to reverse what they've done with Kirk? I agree with what you're saying to an extent. The thing is about the carbonite thing is you know that it's not necessarily dead, 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 and no, you I also know. know that this is there is. There is technology that can rebuild one. But I, I imagine people came out of Empire Strikes mm. Back in, in 1980 with their jaws on the floor. I can't it's a very so brave way to what, end a film. What, is, what the Darth hell Vader is Vader is happened? Luke's dad? Yeah, whereas this, the, the stakes just kind of feel, you know, yeah. and oh, you're, you're dead. We can fix that. The way I would have done it, and this is not, I, I hate to reference Crank again, I would do it with the bed, we'd have a bed scene, final credits thing right at the very end where you see Kirk, perhaps, you know, funeral style just there. And then bones might be there, and may have may have inserted something, and then you see a flicker of an eyelid, then a cut. Mm. Mm. What's that noise? What's he? Oh, wh- where's Ali gone? He's gone. Uh, he's uh, literally teleported. He's oh been mysteriously God. beamed out, presumably to Kronos, the Klingon homeworld. Yes, or an arrested development junket. One of the two. I yes. can't quite put my finger on which it might possibly be. But okay, we're we're gonna soldier on. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. I'm not gonna say which one's which. <laughs> Bagsy, Bagsy McCoy. Do I want to be McCoy? I don't know. Anyway, probably not. Yeah, uh, yeah. None of those are girls. I object. Yeah. That's Anywho, on. Yes. yes. Um, I don't know. I was, I was just going to say how well paced the film is. I mean, it really is kind of relentless. It does not stop the whole way through. Do you know what I mean? Which I think is is a good thing because, quite frankly, there've been a lot of films this summer and just in the last couple of years where I've noticed a lot of there's films a lot that just of stop. fat. Yeah. yeah. And and there's no fat at all on this. Mm, it is very lean and it does move very very quickly. Mm. We've mentioned the Klingons. A little bit. Uh, they're on the starboard bow of this film, and <laughs> thank you, Good. thank you. I, I once had to. Uh, I once got up when I was a, 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 a small boy at uh, primary school and sang the entire lyrics of Star Trek by the Firm wow. in front of my class, which was. Did you have a lot of friends at school? Not after that. No. Weirdly enough, I, I ploughed a lone furrow. Did you for, do for falsetto for parts of it? I think I did. Wow. I think I did. That's quite yeah. Probably had a falsetto for all. Yes. Of it. I yeah, I was. Yeah, I wasn't like. But uh, Klingons, you say? Klingons. Klingons. You say. Yes, Klingons. Uh, what did you think of these? Because we actually they were they were hinted at in the first film. And now, yes, and know. if anyone's got the DVD of the first one, you can see the Klingons, or rather, you can see the Klingons in their masks in yes. the in the deleted scene. So you see. Uh, their armour, the masks. Weirdly, I don't know if anyone sees the DVD. It's quite interesting. They shot it using little children. Did anyone yeah. see that that feature? It's like a corridor. They didn't build a full size corridor. They built a miniature corridor and had little children dressed up as Klingon uh, walking walking down it. Yeah, That's which is quite cool. Kind of weird. There you go. Right. Check it out yeah. on the DVD. This one, this is, um, yeah, yes, these full-sized. are full grown adult Klingons. Um, but yeah, in the first one, as I was saying, they have the helmets, which have those sort of uh, very distinctive forehead ridges on them. They almost look a bit predatory, don't they? A little bit, yeah. yeah. And in this one, you finally see them take those off. And beneath 
the helmet uh, are the Klingons we know and love with a slight with a slight tweak. I think mm. were you to reimagine the Klingon for a modern audience, I don't think I could have done a better job. No, and they, well, what what I heard when I kind of visited the the Bad Robot headquarters, they were talking about Clunk. having. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. Did I just drop that name? My goodness. Uh, when I was there, they they were talking about how they'd kind of experimented with the Klingons because kind of anything was open. Because of course, in the original series on TV, we saw the Klingons looking a bit like you know Ming the Merciless, yes, essentially. Indeed. And then, of course, we're familiar with the pa- pasty-headed Worf and the yeah. likes of the Next Generation and and the subsequent films. So they had kind of everything between that to play with, mm. and they went through a lot of iterations and went really crazy and went really really stripped back and then ended up somewhere in the middle quite close to what we now think of as as Klingon standard. When I spent an entire day at Bad Robot and a full hour speaking to JJ, we didn't speak about Klingons at all. But if we had, uh, we would probably have (laughs) talked about the fact that... um, it, it, it's it's I mean it, it's it's almost like um like Klingons go full punk, isn't it? Because I mean they've got piercings yeah. and their head ridges and gold sort of accents on it. I mean it's 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 really quite cool. I mean I've always been a big fan of the Klingon aesthetic, and I know you mentioned the original series where they do, as you say, have slightly drooping moustaches, and they are not in any way alien looking at all. Uh, and there's that fantastic episode of Deep Space Nine, I believe, Trials and Tribulations, yes. um, where Worf sees the old Klingon and someone turns to him and thinks, I think it's Chief O'Brien, and sort of in a kind of quizzical, what's up with that? And he's like, we do not talk about it with outsiders. Um, and then they pick it up in Enterprise. And the whole point is, I think they have to cure, I can't even remember this, I've blocked most of Enterprise out of my memory for good reason, but they have to cure some kind of disease and I think they have to introduce human DNA. And their argument is that for, I think it's something like 10 generations, Klingons would lose the head ridges before their, their DNA started to reassert itself or something. And that's how they explain that in the original series, they have no head ridges. Hmm. So there you go. 10 generations. Yeah, that's uh, retconning its most destructive. It really is. Uh, but getting back to it, yes, I, the, the punk Klingons were awesome. All bald yeah. as well, seemed to be. Looked like. Because uh, well, yeah. they're known for their flowing locks, certainly, in the next generation. So. Yeah, that, w- that was interesting. Uh, and what do we think of, the, uh, of their behaviour? They, they seem very well, Klingon. They were very Klingon-y. I liked the fact that their ship was clearly a Klingon bird of prey, but looking yes. a bit more rugged. Yeah, I liked that like their a, guns like were clearly of... the Klingon disruptors, yep. but slightly more sort of streamlined. Um, the only thing that didn't sit quite right with me is that, that Khan made such short work of uh, a Klingon platoon, whereas, you know, they're such a Klingon. That set him up I mean, as an ultimate badass. There's ultimate badass, and there's ultimate, ultimate, ultimate badass. But still, mm. yes. So this was triple ultimate. Yes. And he did have, like, that big gun. And he was he did. He did have a yeah. whopping minigun, yes. So I yeah. suppose you, you give him some, some credit for that. But, um, yeah, no, Klingon's yeah, good. I would honestly like to have seen more Klingons, and there's a part of me that hopes the next Star Trek really features the Klingons. I've really... I mean, to have the warlike alien race who's obsessed with honour is hardly original, but... I really like the whole Klingon culture. I yeah. like the Empire. They were always my favourite Next Generation episodes, the ones where you went to the Klingon homeworld or the Klingons got involved. And, do you have uh, a Batleth of your own? I don't, though I do recall once coming into work and, and picking up a copy of the Metro, and uh, they were talking on about how they'd had one of these... Um, you know they have these amnesty days where you can bring in your weapons oh, yeah. and they'll just take them off you and melt them down and they won't arrest you for it. And as to show the sort of the state of society, the Metro had taken a picture of a policeman holding a deadly six-foot weapon and he's holding a bat left and he's like someone dropped off this it's probably used for beheadings well no it's probably used for Klingon ritual combat but anyway I thought that was quite funny but yeah hopefully I mean, we, we talked about it already earlier but a big Klingon Federation face off would be or, or all at war would be would be great it would actually yeah. I think yeah. that would be a lot of fun and it would make a certain amount as I said a certain amount of sense given the current state of Star, Starfleet in this other mm. you know universe ultiverse if you will am I right in thinking because um, I can't remember the motion picture very much but 
There are no Klingons in Wrath of Khan, so they... No, they, they, they search they, for Spock is where they come yeah. in. They appear for the first time in Search for Spock. Yeah. Search for Spock where it's Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, as Krug, is that right, Krug? I cannot Krug? remember his name. Um, which is really... I really like him in that movie. And uh, he's not as good as Christopher, Christopher Plummer's General Kang. No, he's good. In Star Trek Six. He's, he's very good. He quoting Shakespeare good. and... Yeah. Yeah. They are the classic. Well, there's although, he, although if you notice him, he's, he's a Harry Krishna Klingon. Have you noticed? He's got the little the little tuft at the back of his head, <laughs> which is unusual. Really, classic for Trek bad guys. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot. I think there's a lot to love about this film. I really like the fact that uh, Scotty gets a lot to do. Cumberbatch aside, there's another newcomer, a couple of newcomers to the uh, the Star Trek universe of this one. Mm. Uh, not character wise, because we've seen this character before, but uh, Alice Eve as Carol Marcus. Indeed, uh, or oh, she she. Goes on the ship as was Carol Neville or something like that. Or Carol uh, Wallace. Carol Wallace, thank you. And uh, what do we think of what do we make of this character? I thought for a start, Who's... calling her Carol Wallace was a bit of a, a mistake because she's already been introduced, you know, across the world as Carol Marcus. So we we had no there was no suspense there because we knew that was coming, which I thought was a bit of a shame. But um, I I really liked her as a character. Actually, she had some sort of good banter with uh, with Kirk as, and, and kind of everybody as well. I mean, she did have some feist to her, if you will. Um, not the Canadian singer-songwriter. Not the Canadian singer-songwriter, nor the fantasy novelist. Um, <laughs> but she was, you know, she was uh, kind of sparkier than I was expecting because I was kind of expecting a slightly disposable love interest because, quite frankly, in Wrath of Khan, Carol Marcus doesn't get a huge amount to do, despite being this genius scientist. You I, know, guess, she I guess in Wrath of Khan she's kind of done the most important thing, which is to produce a son for Kirk, who is in... And, and ceremoniously bumped and, off in the next movie. Yeah, she's, she's done the <laughs> most important Lloyd. thing. What yeah. some would say in creating the Genesis device. Also, and the Genesis device. <laughs> Were you disappointed? I mean, there's lots of Rathacan shoutouts in this movie. Were you disappointed that Genesis? Uh, or any prog rock band from the 1970s <laughs> wasn't involved in some way? I think it's maybe a little bit too early for that. But at least yeah. they established her as a scientist. At least they established her as, as someone who's you know quite brave and inquisitive in, yeah. in terms of coming aboard to and see what the heck is up with often those. Often in a state of undress. And of, Well, occasionally in a state of undress, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, I think this is a better role for Alice Eve in a big science fiction-y blockbuster than last year's Men in Black 3 where she played... Hmm. What was it? She played... Oh, was it Oh, Emma Thompson's character? This, the, young yeah, it's o. young one. Young yeah. O, yeah. And she has about four lines and she appears. And, yeah, the, My feelings one, about that film are quite well documented. So. Indeed, I think everyone's feelings about the film are. I think are quite she, well she's kind of been on the verge for a while now. You know, she was you know supporting role in Sex and the City 2, um, stuff like that. I she's, must have she's, missed that. You didn't miss much, um, but she's you know she's kind of been on the verge. This might actually give her a bit more kind of a of a push. Yeah. I think and she's clearly going to be hanging around as. Uh, well, yeah, she's now yeah, part of the crew. Yeah. As Kirk says to her at the end, with a flirtatious look in his eyes, hey. "Welcome, welcome to the family." And she goes, "Oh, it's good to have a family." Which I always thought, I thought was a little bit insensitive. I mean, she just watched her dad have his head crushed, and you know he's yeah. just he turned on the Federation. It's good to have a family. Well, yeah, I guess considering who your previous family was, <laughs> I, I, I suppose. And also but. considering her son got killed in the other time. Line. So it's not her family is not you know a, a great family. Yeah, it doesn't pay in. to be a Marcus. But uh, you know, obviously that, and, and I'm intrigued that the movie didn't go down this route. Uh, she and Kirk will bump uglies. I'm guessing at some point. It it seems possible. Yeah. No, I'm you know I wouldn't bet on it because part of the Star Trek thing is that Kirk has a thing for nailing anything with. <laughs> yes, uh, anything female, human, vegetable, or, or mineral. Um, you know that's part of the charm of Kirk. So uh, you know, okay. who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Indeed. But interesting though, where this film leaves the state of the Federation, because the the dreadnought cra- basically destroys San Francisco essentially. So presumably, hundreds yeah. of thousands, if not more, lives lost. Um, Lots of people in London. Was f- well, not not that many well, people in London. London blown up, but yeah, but they, they, I mean, they crashed an enormous starship. Yeah, uh, you know. Alcatraz ruined, which presumably doesn't bode well for J.J. Abrams' uh, TV show in that timeline either. <laughs> so that's uh, that's a shame. 
Do you think that was his definitive? <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're that's putting it. this to rest. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Oh man, uh, yeah. I thought that sequence at the end was was, was very good. The whole mm. the destruction of San Francisco. Gorgeously done. But San Francisco gets it really tough in movies. L.A. always survives. It seems apart from Day After Tomorrow, San Francisco has been attacked and destroyed so many times. Poor has, San Francisco. It, it, well, apart from maybe the Hollywood sign, it, it has more. Obviously, yeah. more, like, more, more, iconic. absolutely, more, more landmarks, and, yeah. and if you're if you're going to attack somewhere on the west coast, you probably attack the Golden Gate Bridge, I guess. Um, precisely, precisely, and of course, you know, talking about cities getting it, London is getting it big time at the moment. Yeah, this summer is not a good summer to be a Londoner. Leave London alone, Hollywood. Jesus, yeah. whatever, GI Joe. Yeah, yeah, we got utterly destroyed in GI Joe. We got partially destroyed in Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. Thor two looks like it's gonna. Yeah, uh, well, it's not gonna be know, a good day for Greenwich. F some S up. As they say uh, on Do they? on PG thirteen rated podcasts. So let's let's, let's bring this thing to a to a crashing halt then. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's come out of uh, warp speed. Uh, is that the right word? Right word. James? You drop out of warp. I yes. drop out of warp. Let's drop out of warp and uh, focus on our favourite uh, aspects of the movie. Jimbo, what was your what was your favourite moment overall from JJ? Are you a good close personal friend, JJ? My, my good personal friend. Uh, yeah, him. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the Klingons, the unmasking of the Klingons, is one of them. The sequence on board the Dreadnought, where uh, Khan goes full Bruce Lee on some of the uh, the hired mercenaries, is also a lot of fun. I like that too. Hard to pick. I also really like when the Dreadnought opens fire on the Enterprise and drags it out of warp. I think that's a great sequence as well. It's nice to have a decent a decent space battle in there. So hard for me to pick any particular one, but I mean, I enjoyed this to bits all the way through. So those are just three highlights for me. Yeah, we we'll probably all have some issues with the ending of the movie and mm. the, the, the shout-outs to Ratha Khan. I think maybe if it just got one more movie, it could have earned those a little bit more than it does. And I, I, my, my feelings on the Kirk death have been well documented. But I had a blast with this. Uh, yeah. For, uh, for, uh, for I'd say, 95% of the movie, I had an absolute blast, blast with the film. I really, really liked the uh, the space jump. Uh, I liked the fact that Khan and Kirk were teaming up. And that was an unexpected wrinkle for me, which I enjoyed. Uh, I liked more screen time for Scotty. I liked that whole the space jump sequence leading into Scotty's uh, confrontation with the, the big burly security guard. On board of on board that ship, uh, which was which was quite funny. I think Carl Urban, more Carl Urban, please, because he's fantastic. Just response. in general, in just life. in general, in this pod booth in, <laughs> in life would be great. Um, I you've blooming said all the ones I was going to say: uh, the space Aha. jump, uh, the Klingons. You can, I, you can have Alice Eve and the shuttlecraft if you like. Uh, well, it's what not about really the my, my the with, uh, with Spock in the volcano. Mm. It was actually the very Raiders, good. I yeah, think that's very good. Yeah, it was actually very good. I'm I'm spoiled. I, I actually saw that in December, so I've I've I feel as, like as I've did I, but yeah. we didn't see the the best part of it, which was them drawing the picture in the sand, did we? we which didn't. that was I thought was a fantastic. That was comedy very, yeah, that, that was, was just that genius. Was and the way the shot then sort of sort of fades into the sort of planned view shot of the Enterprise. That's great. Um, no, yeah, that was that was a really good one. Um, I actually also, because I am clearly psychopathic, quite enjoyed the crash in San Francisco because it was just spectacular was. looking as a piece of cinema. It looked fantastic. Um, obviously, as a piece of loss of fictional human life, that was very disturbing. Um, but yeah, uh, Sulu's uh, big Sulu's speech, speech, speech was Harrison. incredible. Yeah. Well done very to good. all, because we all, you know, we all have the feeling that Sulu is a bit of a badass, and he doesn't get to show it enough because Kirk's busy showing what a badass he is. Um, and it was it was really good to see him get his moment. So yeah, I mean, all in yeah. all, there there was a lot to love about it. There was uh, there was a lot of kind of fun little beats in there, and it you know it kind of bodes well for whatever this JJ guy does next. <laughs> whatever he does. Whatever that could be. A small earthbound indie drama, no doubt. On that photon torpedo bombshell end, I think it's a good time to bring oh, our Star good. Trek Into Darkness spoiler podcast to a an end. Don't forget the second spoiler podcast with Bob Orsi, Alex Kurtzman, Damon Lindelof, and Brian Burke will be up. On or around May 24th, once everyone's had a chance. You guys have seen the film, obviously. You're 
Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to this. Which is, otherwise, you'd be just weird. Uh, but that'll be up on the 24th if you want to hear the, the filmmakers explain the logic behind uh, a lot of their decisions. Then check that one out. It's going to be very, very essential. Until then, it's farewell from uh, Helen. Goodbye. It's farewell from James. Goodbye. It's farewell from Ali. Goodbye. <laughs> That's not what it sounds like. It's farewell from me. Thanks for listening. Bye.